thoughts are words to God. We learned that at a women's retreat. And so I want to share you, with you a little thoughtful conversation I had with God a couple of weeks ago. And I was thinking to him, you know, we got that dreaded cancer uh, word, and I had to watch my husband suffer and be in pain and go through surgery and recovery, and I'm telling all this to God. And God says, yeah, you know, I know that. I sent my son here, and I watched him be rejected and suffer and hang on a cross, and I had to turn away as he died for your sins and the sins of the world. So my grace is sufficient for you. I love you, and I'll be with you through everything. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace will always be my song of praise. For it was grace that bought my liberty. I do not know just why he came to love me so. He Thank you for that testimony and that song. I had a couple thoughts on that. One was I wish you could have kept singing because <laughs> it was such a blessing. Another thought I, I thought of is, you know, it's, it's beautiful to go out in God's creation and to see the trees. And we've had such beautiful weather out here in Oregon. Just amazing. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people who say, well, I'll just go out in the woods and just worship God and, you know, get away from it all. And, and what's the problem with that? <laughs> you got away from something like that. You know, not everybody, every one of us can have a testimony in a song like that. That's one of the blessings of coming together corporately and worshiping together is that each one of us have gifts and testimonies and we give all that glory and worship to the Lord. So good. Amen. Well, if you could turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter three, Romans three, verse eight. 
It's my privilege this morning to preach in the morning services. <clears throat> I don't always have the privilege to do this. Um, but really, I believe the Lord's laid a message on my heart, kind of a, a whole subject series that I've started. I started last Wednesday night, and it's, it's really called uh, Urban, Urban Legends of the Christian Faith. And uh, kind, of a, kind of a twist there, but does everybody know what an urban legend is? It's something that has passed through culture, either by word of mouth or email or the Internet or Facebook or something like that, that has really came to be something that is believed to be true, but actually is not true at all. And uh, what I'm finding about urban legends is even though there's, there's clear reasons why it's not true, a lot of people still want to believe them, okay? And uh, it's very tough when, as Christians, when there's certain things that end up to be false and uh, you really want it to be true. <laughs> and sometimes we want we want a hill to die on there, but that's not something we should die on. Um, one of those, maybe you've heard this one, and, and I might step on your toes right away, is, is uh, the idea. How many of you heard that NASA had computers and they were able to figure out when uh, there was moons and different things, and they were to figure out how long, uh, how much time there should have been, and uh, there was one day missing, one day missing in the historical record of time. How many of you heard something like that? All right. Boy, just a couple. I'm surprised. I'm looking up on the Internet. I'm surprised you haven't got an email or something about it. But basically what it said is, is that they realized there was one day missing and there was a Christian man. And he said, oh, wait, Joshua's long day. Joshua's long day would account for some of that time. And then also, I believe it's Hezekiah um, in the clock moving backwards. And so that would make up for that one day. Boy, isn't God's word true? We can trust it. And that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, but folks, we don't need science to try to prove that there's a lost day and all that. We, we need to trust God's word because it's true. Now, it's a great thing, and I don't want to shoot down any of your guys' thoughts because you thought, oh, man, Pastor Nathan, I thought that was true. But what, what I'm trying to get to is that's an urban legend that many have held as truth, but probably isn't truth. It's probably not good science and different things, but that's okay because we have God's word. So um, this morning, I want to I talk about, last, last Wednesday, I talked about an urgent, urban legend of the Christian faith, and that's the idea that God, allow, or God will not give us more than we can handle, okay? That's an urban legend. Urban legend is that we, we will be able to handle whatever God gives us, and that is absolutely false. There's times that God gives us much more so that... He can test us and he can cause us to trust him and see his grace come and help us and others coming alongside and helping us with the burden. And sometimes we need to just reprioritize and realize, is this really a weight that I should have? Maybe I don't have something right in my life and I need to get right with God. All right. And so today we're going to look at another urban legend. And I think it will be hopefully helpful for us today. And uh, this this urban legend today is the idea that the end justifies the means. The end justifies the means. Um, You could say it in another way, and that would be, it's okay to do wrong in order to have a chance to do right. It's okay to do wrong in order to have a chance to do right. Now, I'm not saying that. This is an urban legend, which means this is not true, okay? There's going to be a couple things you need to listen clearly so you don't don't get me... uh, um, saying things that I'm not really saying. Is it, is it okay to do something wrong in order to have a chance to do something right? That's the question this morning. And I, I see some heads already giving me answers. 
okay? Yeah, we've heard that. But I think in our culture, and I want you to think a little bit with me, is that in our culture, this has been accepted. And if you don't believe me, we just look at some of the statistics of certain cultural issues that the Bible is very clear are wrong, and they've been accepted today. And therefore, there are certain people that think, well, now that it's accepted by society, it's okay. All right, so put your thinking caps on. This is a little bit of teaching today, and I hope preaching and, but you have to listen, okay? And so I'm going to stretch you. Is it okay? I know Dr. Uh, Mike McCoy would always say Christians ought not to leave their thinking caps at the door when they come in to church and into a classroom. And so this idea has several names. It's called situational ethics, moral relativity, pragmatics. If it, if it works, do it. If it feels good, do it. One man called it using the devil's tools to do God's work. Wow. Are we justified in using any available means or method to achieve a desired goal, provided we believe the end result to be good or wholesome? This type of thinking is very tricky. It can be deceiving. This is not easy. There are some ethical questions that are tough. They're not always easy things that we work through. And I'm, I'm not here to solve all those questions, okay? But I do want us to think biblically, what does Scripture have to say about not only the end of giving God glory and loving him and loving others, but also the means to get to that. So think with me on this. Many people use this type of reasoning to justify their conduct. Government officials, politicians, whatever it takes to get the vote. Businessmen, whatever it takes to please the client. Family members educators, and even, I dare say, church members. Entertainers do it all the time. They'll have movies, they'll have books where they talk about changing things, doing things that that don't seem right in order to carry out a desired result that may be good. So think with me. Is everybody, everybody caught what I'm saying? All right. Dr. Bob Jones Sr., he preached on this years ago. He preached a message, Do Right. One of his famous statements was, do right until the stars fall, okay? But years ago, he had an acquaintance who was a Bible-believing Christian. He would have believed everything in the Bible. He didn't just believe that the Bible contains the Word of God. He believed that the Bible is the very Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. He believed in the virgin birth. He believed that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. He would have agreed with everything that we believe in this room if you're, well, if you're a born-again believer and, a, I guess, a fundamental of the faith, he would have believed that, but this was his thinking. His denomination had gone south. There had liberalism, had came in, and there were preachers and missionaries that did not believe that the Bible is the word of God. But in his mind, he thought, I will stay in that particular denomination so that I can still get the support, so that I can still go places and preach the gospel that people might be saved. And Dr. Bob, he, he, uh, Bob Sr., he talked about how really that rationale can really lead to great problems. Can you think of some problems? I'm not going to answer those right now, okay? <laughs> um, let's, let's bring it a little bit closer to home. We had this horrible act of these mass murders that took place down in Roseburg, um, this one gentleman that came in, horrible thing that took place. Um, I, th- I believe it is true now. It's been confirmed 
that he did ask individuals in that classroom what was their religion. Okay. Uh, one, one lady said she was a Christian. Another lady, I believe, said she was a Catholic. And both of them were shot, I believe, to their death. If you were in that situation and someone were to ask you, are you a Christian, what would you say? Now, part of us wants to say, why do I have to tell this madman who I am, right? And uh, talking to my wife about this, and she said, boy, that would be tough. would be tough because this is a madman. Why, you know, why do I have to tell this man? She's thought of her own children, okay? If mom dies, who's going to help bring them up? And that's, that's not easy, is it? But as we think about it, there's, there's a lot of things... Right there, if someone asks you, are a Christian, there's a lot of people watching, and there's a great testimony that can be given in a time like that. Okay? I'm not going to give you all the answers just yet, okay? But let's bring it home. There are, there are certain things in our life that are just as little. Is it okay to lie in order to um, get a desired result, even do something good? Folks, this is so... This is so prevalent in our society. It really is. It's on TV. It's on the radio. There's things we hear that we have to, as Christians, know why we believe what we believe. Okay? I'm seeing a lot of good shaking heads and things like that, and and you're right on track, some of you. But understand that this creeps in even to our life. Satan is such a deceiver, and uh, he wants to get in. What does the Bible teach us about this type of logic? Well, you're in Romans 3.8. Let's look at some clear scriptural passages that teach us the means uh, is just as important as the end result. The means, the way of getting to the end, the way of loving God, glorifying God is um, the end is just as important. Or the means of getting there is just as important. Well, Romans 3, 8 here, uh, we read. Um, Paul says, and he's, he has a long argument here that's, that's going on, but this is kind of the, one of the conclusions of it. And he says, and not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. What he's saying there is, in no way was he ever trying to say something or do something evil that good may come. The whole argument here is some Jewish uh, Judaizers were saying to him, well, if God said that he would save Israel, he should save Israel no matter what uh, those people have done. In chapter 2, Paul says, hey, there's some people that are circumcised, but their heart's not circumcised. God is in no way going to save those people that are not right with him. And so the idea there is that um, what they're saying is God is not faithful then. Well, the fact is, is that everybody has to come to know Christ anyways as their savior as he preaches for by grace alone are you saved. We're all sinners. as He's going to talk about here. But he says ultimately what they're trying to say is you can go and just go sin, do whatever you want, live a riotous life. In fact, You can go do that and God would get more glory if you go out and sin and do whatever you want because he's faithful and he's just or this is a twisted way of justice that then you can that then he can save you and he'll just be glorified more. And and Paul says, what? That's that's lucrative. He says, should we sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. He says it ought to change our life that we ought to be more like our Lord and Savior. So what does he say? Does the end does the 
me or the end justify the means? In this passage, stick with me. I know there's some logic here, but he says clearly what? No, he says this is what's this is what slanderously said against me. He says, "Let us do evil that good may come." He says that is totally false. That is totally wrong. God loves us so much he sent his son. If we put our faith in him, then we can be redeemed. There are promises God will keep with Israel, but each individual needs to put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Let's think of some other passages. Proverbs 21.3. Don't need to turn to that one, but Proverbs 21.3 says this, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. That'll be important for a story we're going to look at a little bit later. But to do justice and judgment or righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord. Galatians 1, 8 through 9. Think of this one. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And, he's, and, and we said before, so we say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. You see, folks, God has given us the method of reaching people that they might be saved. And what's that method? Sharing the gospel. Can we take away certain things from the gospel so that we can make it more tolerant, so we can make it more palatable for someone to come to know Christ? The answer is no. It's it's Jesus' gospel. It was given to Paul. You can't change the gospel for people to save. You don't like the idea of sin or hell? We can't do that. We have to give what God's given The means of helping people to be saved, the end result, is through the gospel. You can't change it. That's what he's saying. Let him be what? Accursed. Is everybody following me? Okay. All right. Um, 2 John 1, 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. One other one. Colossians 3, 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. What does it say there? Do all in, the, in word and deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it ever right to do wrong in order to have a chance to do right? The answer is from these verses, no, it's not right to do wrong and to have a chance to do right. And uh, this is this is subtle. Um, in our culture, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but in our culture, what was one of the biggest things that took place this last June with the Supreme Court? It was voted on gay marriage. Gay marriage was found by our Supreme Court to now be okay. In fact, it's the law of the land. And if you do statistics, it's starting to be the statistics that over the majority of Americans believe that this is okay. And one of the reasons they believe that this is okay is because of, well, there's a couple, is one, because they just love each other. And I'm not trying to pick on gay people today. I'm just trying to help you understand. We ought to love them. We ought to share Jesus with them. Um, The Bible has clear things about homosexuality, though, and about any sin. But because of the fact that two people can love each other, why can't they be married? Why can't they have these benefits? That type of thinking has caused people to say, well, then, yeah, what's the big deal? Just go ahead and let them be married. And you say, well, this has no big implications to the Christian church. It has huge implications. We just were at a conference. Do you know, folks, you're going to start losing your religious freedoms 
because now this is being allowed. Okay? And there's so many other things. We, we are really trying to protect ourselves with our Constitution and things like that. We're not saying hate speech. We're just calling truth what it is. Probably the second biggest thing is the fact that a lot of people don't want to believe what? The Bible's the Word of God. Is there absolute truth? Or is truth all subjective to our experiences in the situation? Fact is, folks, the Bible is still the Bible. God is still on the throne. So think through me. So I, I want you to, to understand that this is important. When God gave Noah instructions for building the ark, what did he tell Noah? He told Noah to go and build an ark. Okay. And then he said a few other things. He gave very specific instructions. But what he didn't give is he didn't give how to haul the wood, how to cut the wood, how to do some of those means, those, some, some of those things that he needed to get done. Okay. So Noah could have, and this is what I'm trying to get at, there are certain times the means isn't necessarily spelled out in the Bible. And so we are given freedom to try to get to that desired end, which was the ark being created or being built. And so he might give us some liberty in how to do it. But what should always be our guide in our method, our methodology and our philosophy of life? It ought to be the scripture, God's word in who our God is. He's a he's a God of righteousness and justice. Well, is it a big deal the way he built his saws and the type of carts he had? No, in fact, I would do whatever works best. Do it, right? Okay, I mean, in that particular instance, it's, there's lots of times where it's okay to be pragmatic if you're not, you're not actually sinning, you're doing what's best. There's a lot of things out at the property there that we're trying to do what's best to get the work done the best way we can. That's okay, that's okay in life. So I'm not against that idea, but if we're having to do something wrong and do things right, then I think God's word's clear. What about this next part? Um, if, if you want to know where this is at, why don't you turn there? It's good for you guys to see this. Genesis six, fourteen. This is just an illustration. Genesis six, fourteen. Here's the some of the clear instructions God has given Noah. Six fourteen. We read. God says, make thee an ark, all right? If we had no further instructions about the ark, the method of building that ark would be up to Noah, right? Noah and his sons, his family, okay? But there is further instructions. He says, make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms that thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it uh, within and without with pitch. All right, so there's a couple things he needed. What kind of wood was he to build that ark? Gopher wood, and then he was to use pitch, okay, um, like things from trees, what we call that sap, around to fill in the holes. What if Noah said, nah, I was told to build an ark, that's the desired result, it's going to save people, many people will be delivered, but I'm not going to use gopher wood, that's too hard. Have you ever cut gopher wood before? It's not easy to cut. It doesn't even look that nice. There's not even that much gopher wood around here. You know what, I'm just going to use, I'm going to use pine. Pine's a good wood. You know, we have a lot of it's in abundance. It cuts really easy. Okay, so I'm going to use pine. And then, therefore, we'll get the desired result. What would be the problem with that? Well, it might, it might work. It might make a boat. But I don't know. Do you know about pine? I don't know. Just devil's advocate here. 
<laughs> Somebody knows a little bit more about gopher wood than I do, okay? Um, that's where you're getting at. God's clear command is it for it to be made out of gopher wood. Who's, who's God? <laughs> Who is king? Who is Lord? Who knows everything? Not me. Not, not me. I might know a lot about gopher wood and the different types of wood, but that's where we need to trust God and see that he's on the throne for a reason. And when he says use gopher wood, we better use gopher wood and we better use the pitch and we better do the things exactly how he says because that's what he wants. So what does Noah do? Well, <laughs> yeah, 622. Um, we read, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. So did he, did he miss out on the gopher wood and use pine? No, he did everything that God was commanded of him. He did it all. You see, folks, there's times, and, and that's just a little illustration. You might say, well, Pastor Nathan, you don't understand. You don't know about this situation or that. It's not an ark. It's something different. It's, it's more of a moral issue. Folks, what we need to find who, we need to understand who our God is and what clear scripture we have that will give us the commands and how we ought to obey. All right? Let's think of some other illustrations, clear biblical examples. Let's go to 1 Samuel 13. So turn, turn a few um, books in the Bible there. 1 Samuel to the right, 1 Samuel 13. Any of you are aware of this story, but the first king of Israel was, of course, Saul. Um, really, God, Samuel knew it was the wrong choice. They weren't to have a king. They wanted to do that to be like all the other nations. But often, you know what God will do? He'll say, well, I'll give you what you want. It's not actually some of the judgment, some of the consequences of our choices are when we get what we want. That's why it's important to look to him and seek his face and to put away those less, those fleshly lusts and just trust him and obey him and look to him. But in, in 1 Samuel 13, verses 8 through 14, we read of Saul and, and really what's going on in his mind here. And we're going to see he's trying to to. He has a desired goal, a good thing, but he's, he's doing it in the wrong method, in the wrong way. Verse 8, we read, And he tarried seven days, this is about Saul, according to the set time that Samuel, the priest, had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Offering. Now, that's a that's a desired thing that was to be done, a burnt offering for their sins, for the people, an act of worship. But was it the right way? No. Was Saul a priest? Was he supposed to be doing the burnt offerings and things? No. He waited seven days, though. He's waiting. But was it right for him still to offer that burnt offering? Well, let's find out more. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. Verse 11, and Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I, I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at uh, Mechemesh. What is Saul doing here? He is justifying the reason for offering this good thing, but he's the wrong person to do it. He has all these good reasons. 
Folks, it's so easy for us in our mind to start justifying itself. I, I, can, I can say this lie or I can do it this way. I can, I can do this. I know it's not right, but it's going it, to get the goal accomplished and I'll be okay in the end. Folks, our hearts can deceive us, can't they? God will not deceive us. His word is truth. He gives these, these reasons in verse 12. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication of the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. <laughs> Interesting way of putting it, huh? And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done what? Foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. You see, folks, it's very clear in this this example, true real life experience that Saul was wrong in offering the sacrifice. He should have just waited. He had a lot of reasons to justify himself. He he thought he had a good method in getting it done, but God's blessing wasn't upon it. There's there's several other examples of things like this in the Bible. You can just write this down. We'll not turn to them for sake of time. But Leviticus 10, 1 through 2 talks about two individuals that were priests also, Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu thought they could worship God by getting fire from a place where they weren't supposed to get fire. There was a specific way that they were to offer offerings to God. And they went, the idea, I used to think that the fire was like blue or some different color. That's not the idea. The idea is that there was a, a place where they were get to get the fire and then use that fire for an offering. They didn't listen. They didn't go over there. They did it their own way. Whether they started up a fire, they said, hey, let's just let's just save a few minutes or let's just do it. This is that pragmatic idea. This is easier. Let's just do it this way. Don't worry about that. Fire is fire. No big deal. Well, they do that. But what happens? The Bible is very clear that God did not accept that. In fact, he took their life. You see, folks, the method is just as important as the end result. Another one, which, which really, if you wanted to turn over 1 first, first Samuel 15, since we're pretty much there, we'll read some of these verses. 1 Samuel 15, verse 3. <clears throat> Listen to this. 1 Samuel 15, 3, Saul's given more instruction. He is told, now go and smite the Amalekites and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox, sheep, camel and ass. Now, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? In our day and age. But the fact was that God wanted that society gone. That society apparently had totally done things against who God was. And God said, this is their judgment. OK, I'm not God. OK, I don't understand why God said that. But God said that, didn't he? OK, is God a God of love? He definitely is. As you read the Bible and understand who he is. But that was what Saul was told to do. What did he do? Chapter or verse 10. <clears throat> verse 10 through 23. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repented me that I have set up Saul to be king. 
for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Okay. Had he really performed it? Well, we'll find out. Verse 14. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears in the lowering of the ox, which I hear? He's hearing the animals that were what was to happen to them. They were to be put to death, weren't they? Everything. God had a reason. God was just and fair in doing it, but he did not do that. He said he he performed everything. But Samuel saying, hey, I hear you didn't. Oh, you didn't obey. Verse 15. And Saul said they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Did he fully obey? Partial obedience. And his justification is, I'll keep the best and will sacrifice it to God. Verse 16, Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said unto me this night. And he said unto him, Stay on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the, the sinners, the Amalekites. And fight against them until they be consumed. Therefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord has sent me and have brought Agag, the king of of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Isn't it something how our heart can deceive us, folks? We said it, we said, we think we can do better. We think we can do something that is, is better when God just, just simply says, here's the command. Verse 21. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Do you see it, folks? It's so easy to justify the method to try to get the end result that that actually... He's, called, he's said to have been, what, rebelling against the Lord. There's others. You ever thought about the story where David and Israel go to get the Ark of the Covenant to bring it back? Remember, there's a man named um, Uzzah who touched it to keep it from falling. Remember what happened to him? He died. That, that, that story always gave me problems. They give you problems? Like, he just tried to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant, and he dies. Well, God had given specific commands. They were not to touch that ark. There was specific poles that were to be used to stabilize it and use it. Apparently, they weren't using the poles and doing it the right way. And a man died. Do our 
pragmatic when it comes to moral issues and we become pragmatic and overlook some of the things that are clearly wrong against who our God is. Does, does God care? Is it important to God? Do other people get hurt? Yes. The answer is yes. Think about Naaman. Do you remember Naaman, the leper? Remember how he went to the prophet's house? Uh, went to, um, I, th- I think it's Elijah. Went to Elijah's house and, and uh, was told that if he was to be healed of the leprosy, he needed to go to the river, the Jordan River, and to dip down seven times. Do you remember what Naaman said? He said, I don't. He said, I don't like the method. This is not right. There's cleaner rivers where I'm from. Um, this, is, this is gross. This is not right. But what, what did the people that were with him, what did they say? Be quiet. Just listen. Do it. If you want to really get over your leprosy, do it. What did he have to do? He had to dip himself seven times. The Bible is very clear. On the seventh time when he came out of the water, his flesh was like that of a skin of a baby. He obeyed God and God blessed there was a specific method and a reason. And that, that sounds very interesting. I think one of the things that shows right away is that the gospel is not according to our good works, but it's according to God's grace. And the method is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The method here was to dip himself for that physical cleansing. The method for us is to put our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Folks, listen to this. This is the rationale. I feel like I'm teaching this more. Is that Okay. A little bit. Um, Follow me. I am not saying this is true, but this is the way some Christians have thought. This is the way the world thinks many times. And this is not something that I would say. Okay, did I preface it enough? This is called sacrificial adultery. A German mother was committed to a Russian concentration camp. Be tough to be in a concentration camp. I can't imagine all that you'd go through. Pregnant women, women were considered a liability and were released. This mother found a friendly guard who sympathized with her situation and willingly impregnated her. She was released and returned to her home and raised the child as part of her reunited family. Her adultery was justified since it served to reunite her with her children and family who needed her. Is this a justifiable act? You think in our, in our mind, we want to reason and we want to think, man, she, she loves her family. She can maybe do this and everything's going to be okay. The adultery is justified because the end result is her freedom. The Bible's pretty clear about adultery. You know, what's neat is a lot of people like to use these situational ethics and they, they, they kind of just leave it all in a box and say, hey, you can do this. Everything will be OK. But they never think beyond the box. OK, having a child. If she already has a husband at home, what do you think the husband would think? What about the other children? What a testimony right away to them. It's interesting how this pragmatic situational ethics works. Is to a child, they don't. They may not always try to reach the most desirable goal. They might just lie and cheat and do these things because that's, hey, mom did it. I don't really care why she did it, but she did it. So therefore, I can do those things too. Think about a child like that being raised in a family, and the child didn't do anything wrong, right? That child, we should, that, should love the child. But hey, that is going to be a reminder to that woman the rest of her life, where she was, what she did, all those things. You see, folks, Satan wants to deceive us. Our flesh wants to believe these things is just as long as we're 
we're doing something that's good in the end, we can do these things that are wrong to make it up. That's a lie from, lie from hell. Okay? But folks, it's so subtle in our society. Take note of the things you're watching on TV. Take note of the opinions that you read in the newspaper. Take note of what's being said in the political debates. Take note, folks. You see, situational ethics... The end just justifies the means. It removes God from the throne as the moral sovereign of the universe and substitutes man in his place. We end up saying, God, I'm bigger than you. I'm better than you. I know exactly what's right and what we ought to do. So this is the way we're going to do it. What was one of our first urban legends? The idea that God will never give you more than you handle. That's false. God will give you more than you handle. (laughs) And he does that for a reason, to humble us and to beg for his grace and his help and draw us to himself. Bill Louder, he told me, he he was reading a book about pain. And the idea of the pain there, God gives pain as a gift, folks. He gives pain as a gift. And this is not easy, and this is not easy if you've been in horrible pain, but he gives it because it draws us closer to him. It helps us to understand more of the grace of God and understand uh, more of the goodness of God. And I know it's a different way of looking at it, but Pain is there. If you don't get pain or problems in your life, why do you need God? God allows these things. I want you to understand that God's ways are not our ways. Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know that the ways of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We are not wise enough to go against God and to try to get the desired end. We don't understand the whole situation. But God does. Will he take care of those who trust him and obey? The answer is yes, he will. So if you're in a room and someone says, are you a Christian? You ought to say, yes, I'm a born again believer in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. What a testimony. Are you saying, Pastor Nathan, you tell me how to live my life? Hey, it's between you and God. But what a testimony that is. What a testimony. Would you like to say, no, I'm not. I'm not a Christian. Just You go back to your family and you live with that the rest of your life that you rejected your Lord. Think about that. See, Pastor Nathan, I don't like what you're saying. Hey, what does the Bible, what are these examples of, okay? Um, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Some would say the case of Rahab. Okay, what about Rahab? Didn't she lie? Didn't she lie and protect the spies that were, that were under her in her house? Didn't she protect them? Well, first, Rahab's, Rahab's lie is never condoned as doing right in Scripture. The fact that the episode is recorded in the Bible does not mean that it's approved. All lying is condemned. Revelation 21.8. The narrative regarding Rahab merely provides an example of where God honored a woman due to her obedient faith in spite of her character flaw. This woman was a harlot in a pagan environment, but she had developed a budding faith in Jehovah. Accordingly, she received the Israeli or Israelite spies with peace. Her motive was right, even though her method was wrong. There's not a word in the scripture that endorses the false story she told in concealing the spies and his utter desperation that grasps 
at this narrative in an attempt to justify situational ethics. There might be one other one that has to do with the, the uh, disciples. We'll not get into that, but basically they didn't have God's law. They had their own man standards. Folks, we need to understand practical applications. I'm going to run out of time. At the core of this is the question, what is truth? As Bible-believing Christians, you ought to hold up the word of God as the absolute final authority. If you don't believe the word of God is true, see how it's changed people's lives. See how the prophecies that are in the Old Testament, how they've came true. And many of those things are being prepared to come true today. God's word is true. Everything that the Bible has said has came to pass. These are real places you can go to, real things that have, have came about. Truth is not just relative. It's not according to our experience or to our situation. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He can't be all three of those things. He said, thy word is truth. James 4.17, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You see, we ought, to, we ought to seek clear scriptural truth to make decisions. Folks, there's some things that are really tough. They're really, really tough, but we ought to seek God's truth. There's some things, end-of-life issues, filling out your own will and different things that you need to think through. What does God, how does God give clear instruction? Sometimes it's tough. I'm not saying it's easy. But I think if you're trying to glorify God in the method and the end, God, God, God will be pleased with that. Okay? There is a slippery slope in these things. And when life seems like it's getting so complicated and things, there's probably a problem. Think about our society and how our culture has just has just went backwards over the years. Truth is now perceived as relative. The acceptance of abortion because the woman has a choice. Okay, and even even specifics. It's okay to abort a baby because the lady was raped. Folks, is that really an okay reason to abort an innocent life? Is there adoption? Is that, a, is that a, a possibility? Is there a way of still raising that child as if it's your own, as it is, and loving that child to the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Boy, there's some wonderful testimonies of people that have lived through abortions or that their mother did not have an abortion when they were raped and they came up and, and they're, they're so blessed to have that child. Okay. I mean, euthanasia, the legalization of marijuana, even gave gay marriage, all these things. You see, there's a slippery slope with this idea of situational ethics. It keeps slipping and slipping and slipping. And pretty soon, that idea of righteousness is way over here, which is not true righteousness. Organizations like the Cub, Scout, Cub Scouts, Girl Scouts, they cave to openly homosexual leaders. Uh, there's sexual, sexual immorality and cohabitation. A lot of young people say, why should I get married? All, we, all they end up doing is getting divorced. So why don't we just live together because we love each other? It's not the way God meant for it. You know, you, you wonder, um, gambling, it's for a good cause. We just tell a white lie, worshiping God in worldly ways. I mean, there's, this list could just keep going on and on. Folks, it's very practical for us today. Folks. It's times like these that your testimony stands out and your light shines brighter in the darkness than any time before, at least in the last hundred years or so. It's times where people are watching you, what kind of decisions you're going to make. And if you're living with both the ends and the means to please God, God will be glorified. Your light will shine. You see, it's clear in Micah 6, 6 through 8. Wherewithal, 
wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my womb for the sin of my soul? He's saying, should I do all these things to please my God? He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? Aren't you glad? And I need to close up. Think about this. Aren't you glad that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness? Aren't you glad he didn't skip any steps and say, well, God, the father, I mean, this is really tough. This cup you're giving me, I, I, um, I, I don't need to drink of this cup of, of really the wrath that would be poured out upon him. I don't need to drink of that. I, everything will be okay. I mean, I'm God. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? But Jesus fulfilled all righteousness so that when he died on that cross, he could be the perfect substitute for you, that he could take your sin and your shame and your judgment And he could die in your place and three days later be raised from the dead that we might have eternal life. Folks, Jesus didn't have this mindset. He said, I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. Aren't you thankful for the gospel today? Amen. Let's let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As you have your head bowed and your eyes closed today, um, kind of a teachy message today, but but I know that it affects every one of us. This idea of doing something wrong in order to have a chance to do something right. The end justifies the means to be pragmatic with even moral issues. It affects every one of us. Satan's going to try to trick us. He's going to try to say, you have to do this. The world's going to believe this. We are in the minority now, if if you're a born-again believer. But we need to just trust and obey. God's way is perfect. He loves us. He's good. There might be someone here today that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, what a wonderful day to simply just come before Jesus with your sin and everything, your backpack of sin, your guilt and your shame, and come before the righteous one who died in your place that loved you so much that he gave his very life. You come before him, confess your sin and turn and put your faith in him. He's the only one that can cleanse you. He's the only one. His grace is is sufficient to cleanse you and save you and change you and help you do right. Come to him today. Lord, we are so thankful for your truth. We're thankful that it is truth. It's absolutely right all the time. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us just to simply trust and obey. And, Lord, there are tough things. There are things that I I don't even want to face. But there are things, Lord, that we know that you give us clear instruction And so, Lord, help us just to trust you. Help us to look to you. Help us, Lord, to be active in our communities, voting, all those things we need to do as as Christians and letting our light shine. But, Lord, if there's anyone lost today that doesn't know you, I pray that they'd come to know you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would stand to your feet, we're going to close with uh, hymn number 38, Grace That's Greater Than Our Sin. And If you need to talk to me afterwards, please come and talk. You talk to the Lord. If there's something you need to confess, don't sing. Just just talk to the Lord right in your seat, and I'll be right with him. Sing that first and third stanza. 
marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there the blood of the Lamb was filled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse with Him. Aren't you thankful for that? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Third stanza. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Aren't you thankful? Have you messed up in the past? I think so, but we're thankful for the Lord Jesus who died in our place. It's his grace. Amen. Well, um, I think I'm supposed to do the announcements here. But, um, oh, thank you, Lucas. Just a reminder, there is LifeQuest on Thursday nights. It's for our college career age, and I hope you can go to that. Um, Also, we have this conference coming up, Unlocking the Mysteries of Genesis. Boy, what a great way to learn more about what the Bible has to say about creation and also have these scientists saying, hey, it's exactly what the Bible says, and here's some help, you know, very helpful. Uh, You can sign up at the Welcome Center for some times to go up carpool. Also, we have a church potluck next Sunday, so um, bring a main dish and a side dish. Sunday school classes, you'll be all over in the Walkinshaw building, no evening service. Uh, Youth can sign up for a youth conference and... uh, we have our vision banquet coming up. Please go by the Welcome Center. Um, sign up. For, this is a great time of good fellowship, good time of just seeing what God has for us in the future that we believe God's leading us. And uh, also, if you need nursery, please sign up there too. Okay? All right. Be back tonight. Brother Greg Turner will be preaching. You are dismissed. Thank you. Sorry. I ha- thank you. I-, I had to tell you not to come last week, but I didn't want to. Well, it's kind of deep.